Lord, we just stand before you and know that you are the life, the truth, and the way. Lord, and we stand today on the rock of Jesus Christ. You are our strong place, our hiding place, God. We just come to you today and just invite your presence, Lord, into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated today. Thank you, worship team. Give these guys a hand. They do a great job. Very blessed by our worship team and their faithfulness to come an hour to service every Monday or every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And uh, we just thank God for them. If you've got your Bibles today, turn with us to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Title of today's message is When the Levees Break. And how appropriate that we are in hurricane season. And uh, it's very, uh, we've learned that Matthew chapter 7 over the last several weeks really applies to Louisiana. From logs and dogs and hogs to camouflage, and now we're talking about hurricanes. Um, so uh, we have been studying through the words in red, and uh, we're kind of getting to this place. We're wrapping up Matthew chapter 7 today, and very uh, fitting that we sang this song, I Bless Your Name, because Hebrews chapter 11 discusses that by faith the men of old gained approval from God. And uh, if you read on it, it says that some were mocked, some were scourged, placed in chains and imprisoned, others were stoned, some sawn in two, they were tempted. They were killed by the sword, going out poorly clothed, destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, wandering and living in caves and even holes, yet they all gained an approval through their faith. How does your faith survive the storms and the hurricanes of life? That's what we're talking about today. How do we survive? We look at our lives, and you can compare it to Hebrews chapter 11. You say, wow, my storms are nothing compared to being sawn in half. Anybody ever been sawn in half before? You're still here. Amen. We can't even imagine. How did they do it? How did they, at the end of their life, how does Paul and Silas in the middle of a prison praise God? How does Peter praise God? How do you think about guys like Daniel in a lion's den praying and praising God? How do you think about David versus Goliath or when Saul is trying to kill him in a cave? Praise God. They stood on the rock. Amen? Amen. Amen. If you're looking at, we're in the last stages of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus has stated over and over again, what it takes to become a citizen in the kingdom of heaven. What does it take to get to the end and survive and be approved by God? It's righteousness that comes through faith. Righteousness through faith. And we can kind of trace, just kind of sum up what we've learned so far is that righteousness, Jesus is saying, is not what most people think. It's a matter of the heart. And so we talked about logs where it means, he says, you got to Look at hypocrisy, falseness in yourself. Is there a false righteousness in us? We remove the religious logs out of our eyes. We wash our hands. We purify our hearts so we can help others. And then we look at the hypocrisy and the falseness in the world. Those are the, what Jesus would say, the dogs and the hogs of the world. People who will just tear you apart, who want to persecute you. We don't just throw our righteousness away. It's a valuable possession that we treat with precious, as precious gems, as, pure, as pearls. And he says, now then, we look at the false righteousness in the church. Is there any false righteousness in us? We look, we can't judge one another, but we look at the fruit. And we decide, is there any wolves in sheep's clothing? Is there anybody camouflaged? And we have to look at the inside. And so all that wraps up today, and if you're in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. Jesus wraps all this up about falseness in outsiders, or falseness in ourselves, falseness in outsiders, and falseness in the church with a discussion of who will make it. 
Who will make it to the end? Who will survive the storms of life? And who will survive that judgment of Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 7, we're talking about reading the directions this morning. He says, read the directions. Matthew seven thirteen. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Through the, enter through the narrow gate. It is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. You know, there are false Christians, false churches, false denominations, false Christian ideas that say, here is the way to get to heaven. And Jesus says, you better know the way. And what does He say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man come to the Father but through Me. He says, I'm showing you the only way. I alone am the way. I'm showing you that what qualifies you is Me. I qualify you. And He says, you've got to know that you know that you know Me. You know, there's a lot of people out there, they think that going to church or that I I read my Bible, that I pray, or that I do these works, these outward works, and he says, you've got to know that you can't qualify yourself. I qualify you, and if you don't know me, I'm the narrow way. You've got to go through me. I'm the only way. And so the final test, he starts off at the very beginning. This is a power punch uh, message he's giving to these people in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, it's not about what you think of yourself. It's not about what others may think. And it's not what your church tells you to think. The question is, what will God say to you on that day? What will God say to you? It doesn't, you can listen to me all you want. You can listen to the Assemblies of God, the Church of God, the Pentecostal. You can listen until everybody can tell you what you should believe, how you should do, what you should say, should not say, how you should wear, not wear, what you should watch. At the end of the day, you and God better be okay between you and God. It's going to be you, it's not going to be Pastor Heath up there with you. It's not going to be that denomination, that law, that rule. That, that you're, you're going to just be you and God. And so the final test is what will God say to you on that day? Our church attendance will not get us there. Our doctrinal positions will not get us there. Our tithing will not even get us there. And your Christian behavior alone, Jesus is saying, will not get you there. You can look the part all you want. We can do, I can take the, the worst drug addict, the vilest sinner, and I can put on a Christian show with them and tell them exactly how to go to church, what to do, what to say, what not to do, how to tithe, how to raise your hands in church, how to write that check out, and that still won't make a difference in that person's life. It's got to be, Jesus has got to be right here. Right here. So we read the directions today. That's the whole point of our sermon series, The Words in Red. We're reading the instructions, how to get to where we're going. And so he warns us about cutting corners. Look at Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. There's no cutting corners in this Christian life. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who, what, does the will of of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Man, that's scary. Many will say to me on that day. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And they say, did we not prophesy in your name? That means they were Pentecostals. Did we not cast out demons? Did we not perform many miracles? And he says, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I want to look at this passage briefly this morning 
So he's saying preaching, casting out demons, performing miracles can all be divinely inspired, but they don't give us an assurance of our salvation. Man, because we're talking, what about a, a, Jesus, you said a tree that bears good fruit. That's in that good fruit. Doesn't that mean that there's something good? Let's see what he says. Because we look in just a few years from the moment he says this, he'll have a young man who by the name of Judas will have played the part for three years, but we'll find out that there was nothing good in him, that he participated in Jesus' works, but he was not a true believer. One author says it this way. I love this uh, parallel. He says, Some will be completely surprised, astonished at the judgment. Some will even say, We had special gifts, and we had inspired teaching, and we led the church, and we used your name, Jesus, to accomplish great things, even miracles, even casting out demons in your name. Yet Jesus, he says, will tear off their mask. And he says, I'm not breaking off relationship with you, for I never even knew you. We never even had relationship. He says, I have endured your falsehood long enough. Be gone into outer darkness. These are the words and these are the very words of Jesus Christ. And why does he give us such harsh words? If you love someone that you don't want them to go to hell, you're going to tell them the truth. These are words written in love because he says, I don't want this to happen to you, so read the directions. This is what I'm telling you. I'm warning you now because I want you to be in me and be with me. And so here's what we learn is that Jesus gives this warning in love, and we understand that you can do the work of God, but not actually be doing the work of God. You think about that for a second. You can... Be in church, but not actually be in the church. Think about it. We can do the work of God, show like we're acting like the work, doing like the work of God, but not actually be doing the work of God. We can actually be in the church, but not actually be the church. And so he says, some will do great things, and he'll tell them, I don't know you, leave me. You've actually practiced, what does he say, lawlessness. Let's look at this word for a second, because this actually... Um, praying over this and reading it, I think we need to discover what this word really means because he says, this is the sin that they have done. You actually practiced, you were doing good things, looking like you were doing good things, playing the part, being in the church, raising your hands, giving your tithes, and doing good things. But he says, you actually were practicing lawlessness. What's lawlessness? The Bible says, if you do a study, it says lawlessness is the opposite of righteousness. See, righteousness is what qualifies us to get into heaven. He says, it's actually, you looked righteous, but you weren't. And so it's the opposite of righteousness. Uh, it says that Second uh, Corinthians chapter 6 and Second Thessalonians 2, you read those, it talks about that lawlessness is not being restrained or controlled by God's law. You are in rebellion against God, and we know that sin is lawless, lawlessness. And the Bible says that the Antichrist, his name will be the man of lawlessness. You see, what it is is that on the outside, there's this coat that we wear, but on the inside, there's this fight that's happening that I'm not the same on the outside that I am on the inside. And he says, you looked like you had the part, but inside, there was rebellion against God. There was something that wasn't controlled by God's Word in you, and that was your sin was actually controlling you. So you may have praised God, but secretly on you might have had a computer problem when you got home. You might have praised God and worshipped God, but really you gossiped about everybody when you got home. It was, it's that, that dichotomy, that dual-facedness. And he says, inside, 
I did not own your heart. So when you got to heaven, you said, God, but I did all these things. And he says, but I didn't own you. I didn't have this. My, your heart wasn't really fully transformed in me. And the sign of lawlessness, Romans 6, 19, says that lawlessness, sin, always begets more sin. Lawlessness always begets more. If there's a seed in there, you better be sure it will grant, it will grow, it will get roots in there, and it just gets more and more. You can't just control sin. And see, the Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is self-control. You don't get control of yourself until you give God control over yourself. Somebody, if you try to do this whole Christian life by trying to do it on your own, I mean, I, we've had family members and friends and people I've counseled before. They come in, they, they, they know more of the Bible than I do. They, they went to Sunday school their whole life, and they get up and they say, well, I'm all, I know my mom, my grandma, everybody told me this is what the Christian life looks like, and this is what i got to do. But they're really trying to control it on their own. They're really trying to do it themselves. And Jesus says, you won't make it into heaven that way because sin is actually still controlling you. You're fighting this. You're, you're working hard to do it. But if you just give me control of your life, me control of that deep part of your heart, then I would do it through you. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes in, He gives you the gift of self-control. And Jesus says, the sign of the person who will not enter heaven is that inside of their heart, whether, whatever they look like on the outside, they're not really controlled by the heart of God. You say, I thought I was doing all the rules. I, I had all the don'ts perfectly in a row. Don't do this, don't do this. Jesus is going to tell us today it's not about the don'ts, it's about the do's. You see, if you do the do's, the don'ts will take care of themselves. If I don't, I don't have to preach today on all the things. I could, we could stand here every week and I could list to you all the sins that we should not do. But I would just say, just be in the Holy Spirit. Just seek God. That will cover everything else. And because it's the God's got to get in here. And so it's not about the don'ts, it's about the do's. Titus chapter 2, verse 14 says, Jesus gave Himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. And to purify himself a people for his own possession. Zealous for good deeds. I love this verse because it, what it means is that Jesus came to take you out of a heart that wanted to rebel against God. He wanted to transform you from lawlessness and put in you his Holy Spirit that would possess your heart, own your heart, give your heart control to him. And it said, then you will naturally produce good fruit, good deeds. You'll naturally be obedient to him. So the more... I give my heart over to God, the less I should be sinning. The more I give my heart over to God, the more I should know His will for my life. The more I give my heart over to God, Romans 6, 19 says, I will be a slave to righteousness, which is the opposite of lawlessness. Jesus says, I need to, you've got to let me have ownership. God's got no fellowship with lawlessness because we've not presented our bodies as slaves to righteousness. He says, those that don't make it into heaven are those who reject Christ through their continued lawlessness. They've been verbally professing Him, but continued inside. They've never given their full bodies over to righteousness. They're giving it to sin. And so their lives are not submitted to God's will, even if they look and say that they are. 2 Timothy 2, 19, uh, Paul says, Nevertheless, the firm foundation, the rock of God, still stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His. 
and everyone whose names of the Lord is whose name is of the Lord is to abstain, abstain from wickedness. You see, God knows your heart. I don't have to know your heart. God knows your heart, your heart, your heart. And he says, if if God owns your heart, you will be a person who's abstaining from lawlessness. It'll be written inside of you. He'll give you that new heart. You know, the Christian life is a conversational life. It's a life that's been changed. It's a life that's the relationship of Jesus Christ. And whether we attend church, speak with tongues, heal the sick, all that stuff, real holiness comes from a genuine, life-changing encounter with God's grace. Real holiness comes from a genuine, life-changing encounter with God's grace. It means I've seen my sin, I've seen where God has taken me, and the gap in between is what I forever praise the Lord for. I, that, that gap in between is saying, I may not be perfect, I, but the God has saved me, He's cleansed me, He's washed me, I don't want to go back, I desire to keep moving forward. I praise God for the difference that His grace has made in my life. I know that I'm not what I once was. So Jesus says, I'm calling you to build something that's going to last. I want you to get there. He wants us to make it to heaven. So he gives us the instructions. Look at verse 24, Matthew 7, 24. Built to last. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods of the rivers came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the rain fell and the floods came, And the wind blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Do we all just want to sing that song right now? You know, and the rains came down and the floods came up. I've been thinking about that song. I almost had the kids' church come in here for it. But what is he saying? You know, there's the the oldest buildings, uh, one of the oldest pyramids in the world is uh, over 4,600 years old. It's a square pyramid, a block pyramid built 2,600 years before even Christ walked there, still standing today. You think about these ancient Egyptians who built these houses, these buildings, to house what? Their dead bodies. They built it to last because they wanted their bodies to enter into their paradise, and they thought, as long as I'm safe in here and we got this relationship going on, this will be my legacy. I'll live as long as this building stands. And Jesus is like, this is kind of foolishness. All these guys are trying to build a building to last. Yeah, that building lasts 4,600 years. That's crazy. We don't build houses at all today like that. But it's not that way in the physical. Jesus is saying, in the spiritual, I want you to build something that's going to last. And let's break this down this morning. He talks about a house. What's the house represent in this parable? The house represents your life. It represents specifically the end of your life when God calls you to account what you have built on this earth, spiritually, what you've built. And he says there's two foundations. There's a loose foundation and a rock foundation. And the loose foundation means empty professions. It's the external services. It's the outward churchiness, the religiosity. And the sand of it is the pharisaical righteousness. It's that shifting and sinking, trapping and controlling people. If I can control you, 
There's a lot of churches and pastors who try to control people to make them be what they're supposed to be. I'm not trying to control anyone. Jesus is not trying to, trying to make you work for this. He's saying there's a pharisaical righteousness that's an outward works, but it's inwardly we're still full of junk. And that's the loose foundation. It's just the outward but not filled with the inward. But then there's the rock foundation, which is true discipleship. Genuine subjection to Christ. It comes through broken repentance, knowing that I'm poor in spirit. God, I can't do this on my own. I'm hopeless. I'm helpless. I have no, I don't want to, there's nowhere for me to go. I'm at the end of my rope. God, you're my only hope at this. That's that total surrender, broken in every part of my heart. God, I just give it up. And then I say, I have faith in Jesus. Holy Spirit, fill me. Come in me. And yeah, it should be with an emotional weeping. It should be with an eager anticipation. And then you should really, really, really know that you're saved. Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit bears witness inside of you, crying out, Abba, Father. I know that I know that I'm saved. There's no doubt in me. I feel the Holy Spirit in here because I've had a true encounter with God. And that's true discipleship. It's a following with Christ, a conversation that we're walking hand in hand. He's taking me somewhere, and I talk to him, and he talks back to me. And I know where he's going, and he might pull me sometimes, and if I fall, he picks me back up. It's a relationship. We talk. And it's obedience to God's Word, because if he says it, I believe it. And so, therefore, I do it. It's faith. That's faith. It's I don't understand it all. I don't have to understand it all. But I trust Him enough that I do it even if I don't have the answers. Right? That's the the rock foundation. And He says this. He says, there's rains, floods, and winds. That means that life comes at you like a storm. And it could come from the top, it could come from the bottom, and it could just slap you across the face. It's top, bottom, right to left, everything. He's talking from all sides, testing and trials come at you. From above, below, and sweep across. But where do you stand when life's hurricanes are at your doorstep? Where do you stand in a flood? Where do you stand in the rain? Where do you stand when the wind tries to blow you down? When life comes at you from all directions, he's asking today, does your faith waver? Where will will you make it? If the toughest trial, maybe we haven't even had the toughest trial yet. We've not been sawn in half or persecuted or slandered or, or sent out to live in caves and holes. But if it happened, would you survive? Would your house stand firm? And he says, the wise and foolish now are the difference here. Because both men had the desire to build a house. Both men labored to build a house. Both men used the same materials, the same wood, the same, the same fruit. They had the same works. They did the same stuff. They went to the same churches. They, they both spoke in tongues. They both raised their hands in worship. They both were on the church leadership team. They both served as a Sunday school teacher. They both did all the right things, and they both read their word. They both prayed. But one house stood, and the other house didn't. See, the world couldn't tell the difference from the outside until the storm came. When the hurricane came, the rains fell, the winds blew, the water rose, the levees broke. And what happens was a visible difference. You see, a life subject and obedient to God's Word from a genuine encounter with Jesus will survive every single trial and it will be spared at the judgment of God. It's not just an outward profession, but it's an inward heart change. 
It's an inward heart change that will let you survive because it's not you doing it. It's Jesus Christ through you. Amen? Jesus Christ through you. Those who will make heaven will not base their salvation on good church-going lives, but on knowing and obeying the words of Jesus Christ. He says those who hear and then obey. That's the ones that will make the difference. Look how he says it again. Look over in Luke chapter 6, verse 46. These two, Luke gives a different interpretation of the same account. In Luke 6, 46, I love how he says it in this version, how Luke interpreted it. He says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and then acts on them, I'll show you who he's like. He's like a man building a house who, what, dug deep. Why do you call me Lord and don't do what I say? I'll tell you, the ones who hear what I say and then do it are people who dig deep. Man, we've got to get deeper in the Word and the Spirit of God. Dig deep. I want to go deeper. That's why we, we study the way that I preach the way that I do, exegetically. I want to dig deep. I don't want just a lofty here, you know, ruffle my feathers and just kind of get me through the week. I want something that's meat and potatoes in Jesus Christ. I want something that's sustenance. I want to study the Word. I want to pray. I want to fast. I want to seek God on my knees. Why do you call me Lord, but then it never changes anything? A lot of people go to church and they'll say, Jesus, but then on the Monday they're not any different. He says, why do you say that, but then it doesn't affect you? Because you're not digging deep. You're not getting down. You're not rooting out the sin in your life. You're not getting and seeking the Holy Spirit for the real transformation that I want to do in you. He says, you've got to dig deep and lay a foundation on the rock. I love this picture. It's a hurricane-proof house. Look at those bolts that go all the way down to the foundation of the, the rock below them. You've got to dig deep. Prepare for the storm by being a foundation on Jesus Christ. Digging deep. There's some that hear, and then there's some that do what they hear. Digging deep. I want to get rid of any shallowness in my heart. I want to get rid of any false professions that say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. But then it doesn't, at my attitude, my heart, my negativity, my gossip, all that stuff takes over me. And those, I want to get all that out of me so that if testing ever does come, I won't fail him. One author says this, he says, Many people confess Christ only to deny their faith when life becomes spiritually costly and difficult. What if everything like Job was taken away from us? We don't control a lot. I can't control if my health fails. I can't control if I get hit in a car crash. I can't control if God takes my wife and my children from me. I can't control if my bank account gets stolen. What if it's all gone tomorrow? Where will my faith stand? Where will I be? If everything's gone tomorrow, will I survive the storm? And it only happens if I've had a genuine, heartfelt change. Relationship with Jesus Christ. It's got to be true, and I've got to know it. James chapter 1, last, last verse. James chapter 1, verse 22. Look there with me real quick. He's called us to be preppers. I like watching the show Doomsday Preppers just for the fact of watching it. it makes you paranoid, so don't watch it too much. Trust in God. He's going to provide but Jesus said prepare in another way. He's not saying stockpile cans and goods. He's saying your life is spiritual. Prepare spiritually. Trust in God. James 1.22, James takes what Jesus said and he says it to his church this way. He says, but prove yourselves doers of the word 
not merely hearers who delude themselves. For anybody who is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. And once he's looked at himself and he gone, he's gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was or what he looked like. Well, one who is intently, one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, that's the grace, the new covenant Jesus Christ, and then abides by it, not forgetting, not being a forgetful hearer, but becomes an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. That means your building of your house will be blessed because you saw how you compared in your heart to the Word of God. You saw what Jesus, the life of Jesus Christ and where He's called you to be, and you're like, God, I see a difference here. Now I'm going to fix it. You see, if you look at yourself in the mirror and you, you get up, you got that morning hair, you know, your eyes are like this, and then you don't do anything about it, you just walk out of the house... You're called a college student. <laughs> but those of us who've matured, and we actually comb our hair and brush our teeth and, you know, splash our water on our face, wake up, iron our clothes or whatever, he says, you've made a change in you. You've noticed a difference in what you wanted to become, and so you saw it and you said, I want to do something about it. And Jesus says, the way you do that is that you let me come in every area of your heart. You open up your house that you're trying to build. You open up that back closet. You pull out that junk drawer. You empty it out. And he comes in with the Lysol and the Clorox. He cleans your whole house, does the spring cleaning, rearranges your furniture to make more sense, takes off that dirty curtains, washes it, puts it back on. He straightens you up, cleans you out, puts a fresh coat of paint in there fixes any areas that are cracked in the ceiling and any doors that might be busted or open. He replaces them, repairs them. He says, now you've affected change in yourself. You've allowed me to come in, make ownership. I live in your house of your, that you're building. I'm the one who lives there. I'm the tenant. And you've opened the door and let me... And so, can we hear and study God's Word and never be changed by it? Yes. When I went to the University of Missouri, I've shared my testimony, a big faith challenge for me because my, I went to all these religious studies classes. They were all taught by secular uh, liberal professors who would know the Bible even today better than I do, can speak in ancient hieroglyphics. I mean, I'm just saying they can read it all, dissect it all, tell you where every... I could quote the whole Bible book forward and backwards, but they're not saved dedicated their whole life to study God's Word, but don't know God. It's possible, even for churchgoers, to come and admire the good preaching and still remain in sin and unbelief. I love what Matthew Henry says about it. He says that those who call Him Lord but don't do what He says are no different than the ones that mocked Him on the cross saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Wow. Wow. Because they were saying, hey, Lord, nice crown of thorns. Thank you for the cross. They were mocking him and saying, but it wasn't here. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that. I don't want to come to church and just give him a lip service. The sacrifices of God are a broken and contrite heart and spirit. And Jesus has died for us today in 2 Corinthians 5.21 proclaims that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf so that you might become the righteousness of God in Him. That means so that the lawlessness would be gone out of your heart and you would become the righteousness of God. Not do the righteousness of God. Not try to, try to become, not try to act it all out, but that in you, 
in Christ, you just become the righteousness of God. There's no lawlessness in our hearts. You see, good works are no substitute for obedience. James is not saying, when he says things like, faith without works is dead, that's true. Because it's not, maybe a better way to say it is, faith without obedience is dead. That if I really believe, I'll obey. That's what he means by doing good works. You see, we don't get to heaven by good works. We don't get to heaven by going to church. But he says, if I have Jesus in here, I have true faith in Him, I'll obey Him. I'll hear it, and I'll do it. So let's kind of review. Look at this special report on our news slide. Here we go. You look at this and sum it all up, what Jesus is saying. He says, every single one of us has a house to build, and that house is our hope in heaven. Number two, there's a rock that provided, is provided for us to build this house. And that rock is Jesus Christ. But Jesus says there's few who hear and actually do the sayings of Christ. They build their hopes on this rock. Yet there are many who will profess they're going to heaven, but they build their hopes on the sand of religion, reputation, worldly prosperity, and anything else besides Christ. But know this, number five, there is a storm coming. They will try our hopes. Every single person's foundation will be tested, and it's between you and God. Your foundation will be tested. Those who build upon the rock will stand, and those who foolishly or unknowingly, unknowingly, you've got to know that you know Jesus Christ, unknowingly they build their hope on anything but Christ. They'll fail on that stormy day of trouble, and at that day of judgment, they'll be utterly surprised. How do you prepare for that final day? It's very simple. Know Jesus personally. Let Him change your heart. You'll do His will. Don't try to do His will without knowing Him. He's got to be in here. And how do you know God's will? Romans 5, 5 and Romans 8, 9 says that when you're born again, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will enable you to do the Father's will. Worship team, would you come back? Just close our eyes and see God for just a second as these, these team members get ready. Let's just kind of contemplate. This is a very simple, short message today just because God, that's the way He wants it. Straight to the point because He loves you. He gives a stern warning to His church because He loves them. Because He loves you. He's willing that none should perish but come to everlasting life. We don't look at what most people are doing because broad is the road to destruction. We're not prevailed, we're not, sorry, dissuaded by prevailing winds of society. We each have to make the choice for that straight and narrow way with the firm, solid rock assurance that when that road ends, you will be at the right destination. Do you know that you know? Or do we look at simple professions of Jesus, Jesus, Lord, Lord, but don't have the appropriate changes in our hearts? Jesus says good works alone cannot save because God looks at the heart. We need a heart-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's a reminder for, I don't care how long you've been in church, I don't care how long you've been saved, it's a reminder for me, even as a pastor, 
God, is there any area in my heart that you don't have ownership of? That if a time of testing come, that little foundation, that side of my house, that room of my house would fall apart or would it survive the storm? Is there any secret area in me, any greed, any, any anger, any bitterness, any unforgiveness, any, any self-pride? Is it any reputation that I'm holding on to? Is it any works-based religion that I'm holding on to? Thinking I'm okay and God, I'd, I want to be prepared for the storms of life. I want to be prepared that when the fire of judgment comes and that I would be purified by fire. Lord, as gold is purified. Lord, make us holy as you are holy. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Come inside of us, Lord. Cleanse us, search us, know us, reveal any wicked way in us, God. Lord, we give you our whole hearts today. Every single one of us today, Lord, that is genuinely seeking you. Lord, that we would just cry out, Jesus, Jesus, and that you would know us. Lord, you know your children. The Spirit builds witness that we can cry out, Abba, Father, that we don't just have a vain religion, but God, that we say, Lord, I know you. I hear I talk to you every day. Lord, I sense your Spirit every day. Lord, I long to pray. Lord, I long to read my Bible. Church is not something I just go to out of tradition, but I'm excited about. Lord, I'm engaged in it. Lord, I'm kingdom focused. I want to build something for you. I want to build a great house for you, God, that my life, Lord, that maybe there's people in this world that don't have a home, but Lord, that I would invite them into my home and say, here, stay with me for, for a season. Come in. Let me feed you. Let me clothe you. Let me tell you about Jesus, and then you can go out and build your own on him. Lord, the world is needing people, Lord, to rescue them, to take them in. And James declared it even later that he said that true religion, true religion is not just the works and the outer things that we do, but it's in the sight of God and the Father is to visit orphans, to widows in their distress, and to keep ourselves holy and untainted by the world. God, we've got to love others as ourselves, and we've got to love you enough, God, to give you ownership of my life. I ask you today, has it been a hurricane season in your life? Maybe you're here today, and it's just been the waves and the winds have been coming. You don't know if your house is going to make it through. You say, Jesus, I've got to hold on to you. God, my foundation is shaking, and things are, my, the windows are shaking, the water's coming in, the roof might be leaking, but God, I'm going to I need, to, I need to have faith in you. And Jesus would be here today to tell you, just like he told Peter when Peter was going to be sifted by Satan at the end of the Gospels, he said, Peter, I prayed today that your faith would not waver. Satan's had asked to sift you and destroy you, but I've prayed for you. See, Jesus is interceding for you today. He's given your, you his word today that your faith would not waver, be built upon him. How many... Just with a show of hands, you say, Pastor Heath, that's me. I've just been in a hurricane season. I just need God to just come in my house, make residency, just build me up on my faith again, restore to me my faith. That's you today. You just lift up a hand. That's between you and God. Man, hands over, all over. Yes. Father God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today that say, God, my faith is wavering. Lord, it's not a, it's not a thing about... A, it's, not, it's not a failure. Lord, it's a time that you can just come in and build us up, God. Lord, your word says in Jude to be praying in the Holy Spirit, building one another up on the holy faith. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters today in Jesus' name. Whatever trial or temptation or testing comes our way, God, that we know that we know 
that Jesus Christ has been crucified, that in Him I have become the righteousness of God, that I am but blood-bought, spirit-filled. The devil will not own me. Death will not keep me. Lord, I pray that You would bear witness in every single person today in this place. God, that they would have a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Pour out without measure, God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we just receive it this morning. Would you just do that in your own way? Just begin receiving whatever strength God would give you. You don't have to even come up here. That right where you're at, the Holy Spirit can just be giving you whatever word He wants you to have. He can be just giving you that peace. He's going to take you through the storm. Just like He walked on that water, He can just say, Peace, be still. I've got a way for you to get across. Trust in me.